So I've entitled this Obtaining Resurrection. Attaining, not obtaining, but I guess that could go either way. Obtaining, but yeah, I wanted to say attaining because that has a little different of a connotation to it. To say I obtain something, well, you could obtain something either actively or passively. I could give you something and you obtained a gift. Or I could go and reach out to grab something and obtain it by taking part of it. But we need to understand, I think, what this text would have for us. And that would be to attain resurrection. There is something that the Christian must do to obtain the resurrection. As Paul would say there right at the end of 11, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. So as you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do you, I want think about this question. Do you think about your own resurrection? That's kind of a weird question, right? Do, when you think about Jesus' resurrection, that, does it cause you to think about your own? Do you, do you automatically think, oh yeah, Jesus' resurrection? You know, you, everyone wants to go out and celebrate Easter. But does anything come into their mind? Oh yeah, I, my resurrection, my future resurrection. I'm thinking about that. That thing, that, that thing needs to be mine. And I think it's actually a profound thing to think of. That what about my resurrection? Because when you think of the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, from the dead, it ought to cause you to consider further your own resurrection from the dead in the future. And I would venture to say, and I'll answer it for you, so no one needs to be embarrassed, I'll answer it for you, that most of you, including myself, you do not think that right off the cuff. Your first thought is, Jesus' resurrection? What about mine? What about my resurrection? And my theory for this would be simply that our, our understanding of the Christian gospel, the hope that the gospel holds out for all of us, I think we've, it's just entirely divorced from this doctrine of resurrection from the dead. And sure, resurrection is important, right? You guys read it. You read three verses or, you know, yeah, three verses, four verses, however many, up on the screen. And yep, it had language of resurrection in it. You confessed it with your lips. So surely it's, it's important in the Bible to some degree. And we confess it and we make sure that, you know, as we go out, we talk to people and we share the gospel. We, we try to make sure that we fit within the last five seconds of the gospel presentation that there's a little snippet of the resurrection. You know, we, we spend all that time telling people about their sin and their need for repentance. And then we tell them why they can do that. And we say, well, because Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again from the dead. Boom. End of it. Resurrection and, and the telling of that is, is done. So we fit it into our five-second presentation to tell someone Christ died for them. But, brethren, if you were to confess, that's about it. That's really all the church has ever found, or at least seem in our day, has found a place for the church to fit the resurrection in. And it really doesn't serve any real purpose after that. And it seems to be the furthest thing, honestly, from our minds at times, that God holds out this glorious future for us of resurrection. But you hear someone like Paul. Paul says, listen to this. Because I want... I want you to think about this verse again and hear it then. I want you to think about it with some, with some fresh ears. <laughs> Paul says what he strives for. You think about Paul's life, right? You've seen Paul, 
You know, that, the little movie they made, we all kind of watched some of that together. You think about what he was striving for, all the suffering, all the pain, all the endurance, and he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may obtain by any means possible the resurrection from the dead. So you hear someone like Paul say that, and two things happen. Either you find that quite an odd thing, if you were honest with yourself, that he would say. All I do in life, I strive with all my being to be raised from the dead. That's a weird thing. I should, I mean, you wouldn't have come up with that on your own. No one in here would have been, yeah, I'll spend my whole life striving and obtain their resurrection from the dead. Come out of the grave. Or you think... Maybe this would be a better thing to think. Maybe we're odd. Maybe there's something odd about us and out of place for us that we can't, with Paul, say those same words with the same kind of force. I mean, brethren, it's like the other things in Scripture. Sometimes you say them, you know they're true, but you just do you say them and you know there is no power or feeling in what I'm saying. And we want that. We want what we're saying to resonate with how we feel. And though, that is one of those things where we say it and we just go, it, it just seems out of place. So you put Paul's words in your mouth, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And brethren, the question you just need to ask is, would those words flow from your lips as natural as water would flow from a spring? Would it be that natural for you for those words to come out? And so let me present this, what I think is our problem twofold, and we'll get us into our text. So twofold, I think. First is we don't even think biblically about the resurrection because we think the resurrection is kind of like... Uh, it. It's like, the, it's like the trinket on top of, you know, something to kind of dazzle it a little bit. It's just the attachment. It's an add-on at best to the Christian faith. You know, it's faith in Jesus, born of a virgin, uh, incarnate, you know, lived a perfect life, died, you know, the perfect death, and then resurrection. Kaboom, just kind of slapped right there on at the end. And so it just becomes this kind of little thing that we, we confess, but we just kind of add it on right at the end. That's our first problem. Second is I think we tend to think presumptuously about the resurrection. That may be an odd thing to say. But with what Paul is saying, church, in, in, in the way that the New Testament speaks at times about the resurrection, is that we in this room, Christians, can presume upon ourselves the truth of the resurrection, and we may not be those who may eventually obtain the resurrection. We could presume upon God's promise that it will, yes, objectively happen. God's people raised from the dead, and yet presume that I will just automatically make it to the resurrection without any thought or notice about it. And yet, I think Paul here is, he's going to remind us, I think in the most, this, this is really the, the most striking terms Paul uses Probably in the New Testament, maybe not most, but I would say top three that Paul uses is striking, just blunt language. He is doing so in terms of resurrection. And he's not doing it in terms of simply 
providing for you an objective reality, something you can just think about as an academic exercise. Yes, resurrection, bodies come up. When the last trumpet blows, the dead in Christ will rise first and then we'll be caught. I mean, we could go through the intellectual exercise of knowing the truth, but Paul is going to, he's going to remind us this is not just an objective truth. You can think about kind of ethereal out there, just floating around in midair. It's actually a, a reality that is true, but you have to strive to obtain it. There is a real striving by Paul. What he says, I pursue or, or, or I, I toil for this. And these will be our two main points. So we want to consider one. We got to go back. We need to think, why does the Bible, why, why does the Bible hold out the resurrection as, as such a thing to, I mean, brethren, think about it. It's telling you that's what your life ought to be given for, obtaining that. One thing at the end that you await, that is what you ought to strive for. And then we need to ask the second one is, how do we strive? How do I obtain? If that is, if that, that really is the biblical reality to strive, how do I strive? How do I obtain? How do I seek this thing? So I want you to consider these two things. I want you to think this is not disconnected from your life. If Paul says that I will do whatever to obtain the resurrection, brethren, there's a reality that you may not do anything and not obtain it. This directly applies straight to your daily life. This is not an, uh, a theological discussion this morning. This is not a, as we have done in the past, we've done a sermon on the work of Christ and resurrection. This is not to show you every piece and part of resurrection. This is for us to, to be brought to face with the reality. Yes, we confess Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Now will you obtain the resurrection of the dead? So I want to compel you, church, that the heart of the gospel, the heart of the Christian gospel, Christian good news, is that God has laid out for you to receive something. Freely receive something and experience in the Christian life and it's resurrection from the dead that you must seek to obtain. And as Paul says, with all of your might, you must seek to obtain this thing. So here's our first point. That you may know. So we're going to begin here this first point to kind of establish our, 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 our second point. And we're going to kind of, this is not your, you know, this will, you know, there's exposition where if I don't start at verse one, I'm in trouble with some people and that's all right. Won't be in trouble with anyone in here. We're going to start at the bottom. We're going to start with the last verse because I, I, I think for you guys to get what Paul says with everything before to feel what he is saying you got to go to the end and go, all right, I got to obtain that. What is that? Right? What is it? Right? If I'm, if I'm warning you about something, don't do this. Beware these people and strive and toil for this. But you don't think the thing that he's striving and toiling and warning about is really all too precious? Then, well, those warnings don't really come to you with any kind of force. So, Let's begin with Paul's reasoning going all the way forward so that we can kind of make sense of this and kind of see this hopefully with some new eyes. So Paul, right, is, he's, uh, he's urging us with this and he's saying, 
right here at the end, right? Indeed, I count everything, listen to these words, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So I want you to, I, I just want you to like highlight, you can highlight in your Bible right now if you've got a highlighter, but you can highlight it in your mind and think, okay, that I may what? Gain Christ. Remember that. that. That is part of what he is suffering loss for. He is letting things be lost because of a surpassing weight of knowing. And this knowing is a gaining, right? Not an intellectual knowing, like I know you guys, or I know it's a certain temperature outside. This is a knowing as in, I know my parents, I know my wife. There is a relationship here with this knowing, and he can say that he has gained Christ. So hold that, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That, picking up the thought again, that I may know Him, right? Same thing. I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That, by any means possible, now what? I may obtain, I may gain, I may have for myself the resurrection of the dead. So you can see what Paul is doing right there. He's attaching two ideas, to know Christ, to gain Christ, in Paul's mind, is, is going to be linked with resurrection from the dead. Cannot separate those two ideas. But before I get to... I think how profound a statement that actually is. We need to establish a little bit of context. First, the weight of this passage, brethren, is massive. Paul, before this, is highlighting a righteousness he had through a different means, through law, and now one that he has by faith in Christ. And he's willing to call it dung. Willing to call it poop. Whatever value you think that has, that's what he thinks all of his past work and righteousness amounted to. So we need to think there's weight right here. And that whatever he is upholding for us to grab is, it is massively important for us to see that there's a, there's a key going on here. And that is there's this glory of knowing Christ by faith which is going to be attained in resurrection of the dead. And I want you to hear how Paul can put this kind of language because as he says it here, I'm kind of adding a little bit and, and kind of giving you the reverse of Paul's statement. Right? Paul doesn't say anything too negatively here about what if I don't obtain, right? Is, is it possible that I don't obtain the resurrection of the dead? Well, Paul doesn't use any kind of negative language here, but the flip side could be true, right? If, if Paul has to say, I do whatever I can to obtain the resurrection, there's a reality that if Christ is not counted worthy and you don't pursue, then you don't attain, right? That's, that's, that's the logic of his statement. The positive is true, though the inverse is true. The negative is true as well. But Paul does actually say this explicitly in a few other places. 
So here's one. 1 Corinthians 15. Not I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Right? Here we go. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And then here's that conditional clause. If, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless what? You believed in vain. So according to Paul, is it possible to be a, rec a receiver of that? I mean, notice the language. Brothers, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, which you're being saved, hold fast, lest all of that was in vain. We're here in Colossians. And you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed, right? If indeed you continue in faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Church, there is a clear reality here to hearing. Think, I mean, think about this. You're in here doing this right now. I mean, Paul did it. 2,000 years we're doing it. You're, you're hearing someone preach. You are hearing the word. You are receiving it. You are standing in the gospel promises that if it is not met with steadfastness, if it is not met with perseverance, is not met with holding on fast that you believe and your belief would be in vain. You run in vain. To which you might think, okay, that's true. It's a true statement. But I thought we were worried about obtaining the resurrection of the dead. Right? Why, why this gospel talk? Right? I thought you were trying to tell us that there's a way for us to not obtain the resurrection of the dead and you're telling us there's a way to not hold fast to the gospel and fall away from it. So thinking, why, why, why would you introduce the warnings in regards to the gospel instead? Why not talk more about the warnings in regards to the resurrection? And brethren, I think, because this is intentional. It's very intentional. And I want you to get this as you see these ideas here, that the gospel, listen, the gospel and resurrection are not separate things. Right? We, we have done this in America... Because we have oversimplified the gospel. And now, we haven't removed truth in that we have corrupted it and said, well, the way you get to heaven is, yes, you get forgiveness of your sins, but, you know, on Saturdays before Sunday, you got to go do a little bit of work over here and over there. And on Monday, you make sure you help your neighbor. And Tuesday, you go, you know, mow your lawn. Or what. You know, we're not, it's not like we're trying to add all these different things in to what we must do to receive forgiveness. But, brethren, listen, that forgiveness of sins is not the only thing the New Testament talks about when it comes to the gospel. They're not separate. It's not like gospel bridge resurrection. No, no, no. There's no, this isn't some loose kind of connection. I, we need to see the hope of the gospel, the way Paul says it right there at the end of the Colossians, he says that you would stand firm in what? The hope of the gospel. Well, let me ask you this. Someone tell me, what's the hope of the gospel? Or as Paul says in Acts, the hope of Israel. 
that my brethren may obtain it. What is that? The New Testament says the hope of the gospel. It expands on that. What is that hope? Brethren, I'm going to argue the hope of the gospel, the very heart of the gospel itself, yes, contains the forgiveness of sins. Hear me on that. <laughs> yes, it contains the forgiveness of sins. But the heart of it, brethren, is the resurrection of the dead. That we would understand the phrase, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The hope as the resurrection. That the hope of the gospel and the resurrection then are these synonymous terms. And let me demonstrate this for you. I got a bunch of text here because I think I'm making a, a substantial point. I want you to see that this is, this is Bible. This is not Aaron just making this up right now. So you can follow along, but I'd rather you listen. So flip through your Bible. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. So first one right here. Acts 22 beginning in verse 30 and then going into 23 a little bit. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, this is the centurion who's picked up Paul. So a centurion's got Paul. He's like, hey, you're, you're causing a lot of issues and you're preaching this gospel stuff. So you're going to, you know, come with me. And so this guy wants to know why he's being accused by his fellow Jews, right? So the centurion right here, he unbound him, commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet, and he brought down Paul and set him before them. This is 23 now, beginning in 6. Now when Paul perceived, so he's in front of these Jews. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees. So here's these Jews and they're split, right? It's like, be like getting Democrats and Republicans together. There's a group of people here, but there's some polar opposite views right here. So let's just say, that's, so it's kind of like that. So he's got Sadducees over here in this group of Jews and the other Pharisees. And he cries out in the council and he says, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is, with, it is with respect to the hope, listen, to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, notice how they respond. Dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees said there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So notice here, Paul gets brought before. They want to know, why are you being accused by your own brethren? What on earth is going on? And Paul sees, okay, there's some factions here. I'm going to be very coy right now. Paul is not being winsome at this point. Paul has been like, all right, you guys brought me here. You want to know why I'm here? I'm going to kind of tell you by creating a little dissension right here. And he tells them, it is with, notice this, with respect to the hope. Now there's an there, there, there's a reality here. This is not some generic hope. This is the hope. And then you get the following phrase, and the resurrection of the dead, that I am on trial. Now, I think a better translation to this would be something like this. Because when you see the and there, we usually separate ideas with an and in English. You know, it's like, I went to the store, and I went and picked up, you know, my kids. So it's like I did two different things. It's like, Separate, but kind of, you know, interlocked ideas. But th that's not the case here. It, Paul is not saying to his brothers, the Pharisees here, it's res respect to the hope and the resurrection, as if the hope and the resurrection are two different things. Rather, the hope is the resurrection. A better way to translate this would be, it is with respect to the hope, the resurrection from the dead. 
The, I mean, the, the and there is in Greek, but it is not trying to give you two different ideas. It's connecting the thought for you. What is the hope? It's the resurrection of the dead. Again, you hear this in Acts. Paul, now before Agrippa, he says, Oh, Agrippa, you have permission, and then, or excuse me, Agrippa says to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. So here's what Paul says. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Now I stand here on trial. So now he's going to give the reason why he's on trial. I stand here on trial because of my hope. There it is again. The hope that Paul has is the same hope that he was telling his Jewish brothers before. Because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to obtain. That's similar language, right? Hoping to obtain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. And then notice what he says to Agrippa and the people around him. Why is it a thought, or why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So here he's talking about this hope. He knows Agrippa knows the customs of the Jews. This man's ruling in this area. He's got to know his people. You want to be a good ruler? You should know the people a little bit, right? So he knows what the practices and the beliefs are. And then at the end, he kind of like leaks what this hope is, this hope of our fathers, the one Israel is trying to obtain, same one Paul says he wants to obtain. And he says, this is God raises the dead. So here's another one. This is back in Acts chapter 2 when Peter gets up on Pentecost and begins preaching. So I'm kind of jumping into the middle, but you can follow with me. So he's still going here. He says, God raised him up. It's Peter speaking of Jesus. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For, all right, I'm going to give an explanation why that is true. Why is it true that God raised him up from the dead and it was not possible for him to be held by it. Well, because the prophets of old from Daniel, or excuse me, David's own mouth prophesied regarding this. For he says, David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Now listen to this. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. There's a hope that this one David is speaking about is holding on to. And he says four again. So now he's going to explain what, what, what the psalmist was saying in regards to the Christ. What's the hope that he has? For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or we could say the grave, to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Here's another one, Acts 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
So we usually think, well, the proclamation of Jesus, the proclamation of the gospel. But notice there, it's not Jesus rose from the dead. It's in Jesus, they're proclaiming something, the resurrection from the dead. Here's another one. This is Paul in Athens in the Areopagus. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler with wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now when they heard, and this is now jumping down, so at the end of this whole thing, he's in the Areopagus, he's talking to these Gentiles here. He says, now when they heard, these Gentiles, of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Another one, last one. But this I confess to you, this is in Acts 24, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, this is Paul speaking, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that, so here's the hope of God, here is the hope of the law and the prophets, the hope of Israel, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I hope I've convinced you. The hope of the gospel, the thing Paul is warning that in, in those other sections in Corinthians and Colossians, that they would stand steadfast in and, and they would obtain and not be swerved and moved from is the same thing Paul is telling them, this is what I'm striving for, that I would obtain this thing. And it's the hope of the gospel. It's the resurrection from the dead. This is which Paul labors to keep you as Christians grounded in, that you would obtain it. And this great hope, brethren, of the gospel is, as Paul has connected here for us, being raised from the dead on the last day and the attaining of that resurrection from the dead. Now, this is important because I don't want you to get confused here that uh, the, the gospel then is, is somehow a, a means to like an end, right? Because what you can conclude from what I just said then is, okay, it almost seems then like gospel and faith and Jesus Christ, it's like that's what begins you. Like it's a starting ramp or, or like a block, you know, in track they push off blocks. Like you push off of this thing, but it just gets you going on the race. And then what you're really going for is at the end of that race. And the blocks were just there, you know, just to get you going, just to get your, your, your foot out the door. And that's not at all what I'm saying or at all what I want you to intend to get. Because now we're getting back to the main point that Paul establishes there at the end in those last three verses. And I've already told you this. Paul talks about to know Christ, to gain Him, and then says that He seeks to obtain or to gain the resurrection. He is linking those two ideas together. The gospel and saving faith is not simply a means to an end. It is not like God held up resurrection and it's like, all right, Jesus, see you. We're going to go be raised and it was really great believing in you and starting off with you and having faith in you. Thanks for the work on the cross, but I'm going towards resurrection. <laughs> that, that's not it either. That, that there's no disconnection. Because if we begin with that, with that kind of Christ, with that kind of faith, we're going to end up realizing that what we're going towards in the end is something that we've never been promised. We're not going towards a resurrection unto life. We're going to go into a resurrection of, as the Bible later calls, of death. And brethren, this would be a profound mistake for us. Because listen, 
This is a huge, huge mistake in the church in our day. A massive mistake. One that has found its way both into the evangelical church, both in Protestant, Reformed, whatever church label or denomination you want to put on it, I think has found its way in, in both to the church and its evangelism. And also, as you guys have ever gone out and talked with someone, what has crept into the minds of unbelievers about what they think the end is all going to be about. And brethren, we need to admit, first and foremost, before we start picking on unbelievers for some really silly thing that they might believe, we got to remember that the world didn't end up believing things about heaven because the church was just like, well, we told you the right thing and you just didn't want, you know, you just wanted to run off and go twist and no, 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 no. The church has, 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 has gotten this wrong. We contend to present the gospel as, here's the gospel, I've now brought you a big escape plan for your life. Here's your fire insurance. Here's how you get out of every bad situation in life. Here's how all the bad things in life can go away. You come to Jesus, and then guess what? You float away from Jesus, and you float away from all of your problems, and all of your mistakes, and all of your worries. And the gospel which holds out eternal life to these people is nothing more than some free pass to a heavenly bliss where people exist as spirits and they float on clouds. And you know what these people do in heaven all day? They just enjoy themselves and they enjoy their friends and their pets and their food. And they enjoy everything that they enjoy now, but forever in heaven without any more bother from people and especially no more bother from God. But brethren, that is what Paul would call in this passage absolute dung. That is absolute garbage. The hope of the gospel, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal life is not a free pass to live forever, gratifying your every desire when you die, your every itch, your every pleasure. You have that question backwards if you think, I can't wait to get to heavenly retirement. You don't need to ask, do I want heaven and to live forever? What you need to ask as a Christian is, do I want God? And do I want to find my supreme joy and satisfaction in worshiping Him forever? Brethren, go out to the street and ask an unbeliever if that's what they want. Nobody wants that apart from the Spirit of God. To worship God forever and enjoy Him doing that? Brethren, unbelievers come in here and fall asleep when we sing. Present that to people. You want God forever? Present that to Christians. You want to worship God forever, Christian? Well, I thought I was just going to kind of like, you know, get eternal life and I'd be square. I don't know. But seriously, do you want God or do you just want heaven? Because, brethren, if you want just heaven without God, you don't want heaven. Heaven ain't for you. That's a place that is profoundly different than what you have imagined. And it's a profoundly different question to ask whether you want heaven or whether you want Christ. The hope, brethren, is not different. The hope is not different than the gospel itself. And it is not different than what the gospel brings us to. What does the gospel bring us to, church? The gospel brings us to Jesus Christ, the, the, the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That hope... It, that, that hope that you have by faith in the gospel, that, that is actually what the resurrection is pushing you towards. That is what Paul is actually hoping here for. The hope that he has by faith, that he says he has gained, he says, I count it all as loss because I have the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. But that's not enough, brethren. 
That's not enough for Paul. Think about this. This is, this is crazy because this takes the resurrection and it completely removes it from us just thinking, yeah, I mean, God does love creation. Yes, he does love the physical. Yes, and he is going to raise us from the dead and we're going to live forever. Brethren, yes, yes, and yes. But Paul's main end for the resurrection is not just so we can go do that or care about the planet or care about human beings or care about our children. He says, you know what the resurrection is intended for? To have more of that surpassing worth of the knowledge of Christ. I mean, you, did, you, did you get that? What you got in the gospel through faith is what Paul is striving for more of in the resurrection. He wants more of it. The hope is that if you get raised up from the dead, it's so that you can be with God forever. That's the point. He says, I count it all as loss because I have the worth, but for his sake I've suffered loss. I count it rubbish in order that what? I may gain Christ. But he just said he had the surpassing worth of Christ. What's, what's the deal, Paul? Are you skits? Like, do you, do you not know what's going on? Do you have Christ or no? And he would say, brother, listen, I have him, but I don't. I have him, but I want more. I have him, but I'm not perfected, as he goes on to say. I've not obtained it. I strive for it, brethren. And he's not just striving to just live on forever. For Paul, he says he has gained Christ, but that he is striving to obtain more. And the way that he obtains Christ, brethren, the way you obtain Christ in fullness is in the resurrection of the dead. You want more of Christ? You want more of that righteousness which comes through faith? You want to see Him face to face. You want that surpassing joy and knowledge of knowing Him more than obtain the resurrection of the dead. This is what Paul is hoping for. He wants you to see that here in 8 for 10. That I may know Him. That's why he's doing this. He says he's counting it all as rubbish because of what he presently has, but he is striving on for this purpose. That I may know him. And here the NET translate this way better than the ESV. In the NET, there's actually a new sentence right here. So here in verse 10, you got this big long dash. Because what you kind of have right here, or at least the translators are trying to note to you, is 9 is kind of like, Paul just has this, I mean he's like a preacher. Paul just will be, he'll be going, 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 and he just has to like throw something in there really quick and then he comes back on to thought. Because you get this in 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss. I count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Right? And then you pick up in 10, that I may know him. Right? So that thought continues. This little thought right here in 9 is just like Paul just can't help himself. He's like, you know what? It's a righteousness through Christ, not through the law. Right? Because he's dealing with people with this. And then he comes back here in 10, though, and the NET translates this as if it's a brand new sentence. It's not in the Greek, but they're trying to get at something for you. They're trying to show you that when Paul says that, that simple phrase, that I may know him, that phrase is Paul giving a purpose clause. You want the, you want the whole purpose of Philippians chapter 3. He is telling you in 11 with a purpose clause. How the NET translate this, my aim is to know him. That's his purpose. My aim is to know him, which is why they put a new sentence there to translate that for you. He wants you to know Christ, to know him. 
The question is how? It's not, it's not just through faith in, in what we await. It's also that you would know Him in the power of His resurrection. So that when you're resurrected, brethren, you get to know Him more. There is no barrier. It's like what Paul says in Corinthians. We see now in a, in a glass, you know, dimly lit, that, that, that we believe in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, then we will know Him fully. Right? That's what he's saying. So the, the resurrection is the link that we're striving to attain it because we want the knowledge of Christ. Everything else is rubbish. Everything in your life. Everything is rubbish apart from, I want to be raised to new life because I want to know Him more. And that's how Paul wants you to come to know Christ fully. You obtain the resurrection from the dead. You don't presume upon God's promise. Brethren, you obtain it. You remain steadfast in the gospel, which you received from Paul, in which you received from your pastors, in which you received from the Spirit of God Himself. You obtain that thing. This is how you come to know Christ fully. You get raised on the last day. Your body comes up out of that grave. Brethren, as Paul stated earlier, we don't swerve or become moved from the hope of the gospel because the hope of the gospel is that we will be raised up with Christ and we will know Him and we will experience that glory from faith now to faith till the end. I had more that I wanted to say because we have all those verses before, but... I don't want us to lose that. Don't want us to lose that. That I may know Him. How? How does Paul want to know Jesus Christ even more? The power of His resurrection. That by any means possible, then He will obtain that thing. He will do whatever it takes to do that thing. As he says later, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do... Listen, Paul's like, I am not the man to come up here and boast as if I had it, like other people come in and deceive you with. But I do one thing. Paul's like, I'm not a nobody, right? I'm not a liar, and I'm not trying to obtain something that's not yet mine. But I do something, right? Christian, listen to that. Paul's not being pious. Oh, I don't do anything. I don't, I don't do anything in the Christian life. I just try. No, Paul says, I do one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining, straining, working towards striving, toiling forward to what lies ahead. He's got one thing in his future, resurrection. That's it. That's what he's striving for. And he presses on, as he says, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So church, I'm just going to read some of these verses again. There's a lot that could be said on this, but maybe that'll be for next time. But I want you to hear how Paul begins this section again. Because Paul didn't give us this so we could go, man, that was really great. That was a good word. You know, really good word. Way to connect those sentences there, right? Way to connect those ideas. He's telling them, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord, right? You have him. I'm going to write to you some things that have troubled, or that, that it's no trouble for me to write to you because it's safe for you to just remind you he says, look out for dogs. 
You look out for dogs, not the barking kind, you know, where my, my girl freak out. Not, not the, darking, the barking dogs, those who would come in and seek to devour you. Look out for dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the, fe- the flesh. It says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. There's a lot we could say right there, but brother, that's just this, the warning, the reason Paul has to tell you, obtain it, obtain it, attain it, attain it. It's because what's going to happen in the Christian life, this is a letter written to Christians, is you will begin to swerve away from the principle of faith with how you obtain the resurrection and begin to think by those words that come from dogs, from evildoers, from those outside of the faith. that they put confidence in themselves. How easy is it, brethren, to confess at the beginning Christ and Christ alone, faith and faith alone, and yet swerve from the principle of faith and not obtain the resurrection of the dead. And Paul's going to remind you right here, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If you think you have confidence, why don't you shut the mouth for a second and hear Paul Because if there's anyone who had confidence, it was Paul. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, see, I'm not the only one telling you to be quiet. I'm not trying to be mean. He says, I have more. So, shh. Circumcised on the eighth day. Abrahamic promise right here. Of the people of Israel, blessed is the Son of God, as they are called in Exodus. Of the tribe of Benjamin, right? Important. From the tribe of Benjamin right here. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he's a Pharisee, man. Ain't no better lawkeeper in Israel than the Pharisees according to the law. Blameless. As to the righteousness under the law. As to zeal. Think about this one. You got these dogs coming in and they're just trying to pervert a little truth. Right? They're just... Just, just a little extra, right? Yeah, faith in Jesus. Yeah, there's always been faith in the Old Testament. But let's get you to add so Let's get you to move away a little bit from faith. And Paul says, as to zeal, you, you, you think some of these dogs have zeal? But I persecuted the church. I didn't just come in to taint the message a little bit. I persecuted it. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Brethren, know that everything that you could possibly uphold in your life as any means of righteousness, any means of obtaining the resurrection, any amount of religious things that you can do, any amount of, uh, of Bible that you know, any amount of anything you could possibly put up before yourself as how you will obtain the resurrection at the end of the day cannot be from self-righteousness. Indeed, you must count everything in your life, all of it, everything you would take pride in as dung, as rubbish, as that which is worth absolutely nothing compared to faith in Christ. Brethren, that will be the way that you can, by any means possible, obtain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray.